Hello, everyone. This is Victor Jackson. Welcome to the Bible Centered Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Bible Centered with Victor Jackson. Thank you for joining us on the journey as we delve into the Gospel of Matthew. We finished Matthew chapter 1 yesterday. Today we're delving into Matthew chapter 2, focusing, uh, starting off with the visit of the wise men. I want to thank you for the reviews. Thank you for your hunger for God. To those that have subscribed and to those that purchased uh, the book, A Word to the Broken, thank you for your feedback. Thank you for the kind reviews. what an opportunity is to share God's word everywhere. And I'm so glad uh, to be on this journey with you. Let's get into it. Matthew chapter 2, the visit of the wise men. Reading from the ESV version. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time which he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted 
because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea and in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so, th- so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Uh, th- this is exciting. I-, I am exciting to 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 break this this passage uh, of scripture uh, down to you. We we w- with our church, we went through the Gospel of Matthew verse by verse, and we're right at a year and three months into it, going verse by verse on Wednesdays. Bible Center of Orlando, in Orlando, Florida. In Centro Biblico de Orlando, we've gone verse by verse. We we finish in 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 uh, August, uh, and uh, it has just been uh, a journey filled uh, with uh, insight and and revelation. the The Word of God is so amazing. It's it's so uh, strategic. Uh, it is beautiful. We talked about how Matthew is writing to the Jews to persuade them that Jesus is the Christ. And the theme of Matthew is fulfillment. All throughout Matthew, he says, thus it was fulfilled. And you see it here in chapter 2. It was fulfilled when he went to Egypt. What Hosea said, out of Egypt have I called my son. It was fulfilled that... uh, that was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet about Rachel weeping for her children. It was fulfilled uh, that he shall be called a Nazarene. So Matthew is is persuading the Jews that Jesus is the Christ by reaching into their history and reminding them of the promises and of the prophecies and showing how the life of Jesus is fulfilling that. As Jesus would say later, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And so Matthew is is pulling on the prophecies and and the things that are deeply embedded into the heart of Israel. And he is appealing to that to show them that Jesus is the Christ and that he didn't just come to save them, but he came to save the world. And, and he was very particular about that in the genealogy. It's a beautiful start as you see Matthew beginning to make his case. You see, Matthew was a tax collector, so he had to deal uh, with names and keeping good records. And and he, he had to deal with different sources. Many believe that he used Mark's gospel. Many believe that Mark was the first gospel, but he used Mark's gospel as a as a launching pad or as a foundation because Mark's gospel, uh, they believed that he was writing uh, Peter's sermons 
and that it was all fast track. Well, Matthew slows down and gets down to the nitty gritty and gives the backdrop and, and plugs in the things that Mark missed, inspired by the Holy Ghost. But dealing with the records of families and uh, things like that uh, as a tax collector, uh, it's amazing how God used his gifting in the world and 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 pulled on it to make it a gift to the kingdom. God loves doing that. He loves doing that. He likes taking a Matthew uh, uh, that's a, a tax collector and and knows how to uh, work among adversity because all of the Jews hated tax collectors. Those that were taking the taxes of Rome, they saw them as betrayers to their to their nation. Uh, God has a sense of humor because uh, m- these tax collectors would be on the Sea of Galilee taxing the fishermen. God has a sense of humor because he calls Peter uh, and, and, and James and John and Andrew from fishing and calls Matthew as well, Levi, the tax collector, calls him to follow them. These guys have never gotten along, but it's amazing when you're on the path with Jesus, how all of the different personalities are able to thrive and complement one another because Jesus is at the center. And Matthew is, is, is unique here because God loves using whatever someone was good at in the world. He loves converting it and, and, and sanctifying it for his kingdom and, pers- and, and purpose. Uh, one of Matthew's favorite words is, is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, other gospels, most gospels say the kingdom of God. Matthew likes saying the kingdom of heaven. And you see this principle in the Old Testament whenever the Jews came out of Egypt and they spoiled the Egyptians and they got the utensils of Egypt. And, and they got so much uh, um, things from Egypt that when God wanted Moses to make a tabernacle, what God did was he sanctified the utensils that were used for Egypt and he sanctified it for the use of his tabernacle. See, they didn't have to throw it away. It just had to be sanctified for a renewed purpose that is not in service to the world, but now it's in service to God. And as Paul would say later, as you yielded your members unto unrighteousness, even so yield your members to righteousness. That means if you danced, if you danced in the world, then, then let's sanctify that and dance in the presence of God. Uh, if you are loud when you are in the world, let's sanctify that and become a proclaimer of God's truth to the world. And this is what God is doing in Matthew. Now, Matthew, because he is pulling on these prophecies um, to persuade the Jews that Jesus is the, the Christ, the Messiah, and that he is the hope for the world and the Savior of the world, Emmanuel, God with us, now he starts showing the, the climate of, of why Jesus was uh, initially resisted by the Jews and how he was initially 
embraced by the Gentiles. And so Matthew is about to show in this passage that I read on the Jewish climate, the theological climate that existed and why it would ultimately lead Jesus to to, uh, the cross. So let's get into it. Verse 1, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now, these wise men, uh, uh, they used the word the magi, uh, which were astrologers either from Babylon or Persia. And these wise men studied the stars. They were Gentiles. And they literally traveled on a 500 to 800-mile journey to come and worship Jesus. And that that is that is profound. So look at the hunger from these Gentiles uh, for God, willing to travel 500 to 800 miles, bringing gifts to come and worship God. Now watch this, verse two, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. These are educated men. These are, these are the, the philosophers. These are, these are the minds, the, the, the scientists of their day. And what Matthew was highlighting with these Gentiles is that God is using whatever means he can to get the Gentiles into his presence. And and whatever way possible, uh, it's amazing how God will reach into the unknown to bring people into knowledge of him. And to to reach into these depths and to these places that no one is willing to reach to bring people to him. God is a master strategist. This 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 star that they are following not even for for religious purposes, not even for purposes to fall in relationship with Jehovah or, or, or God, but they, but they are doing their astrology and it brings them on a journey to worship him. That's only spirit led. And no one can come unto God except except the Spirit draw him. God knows how to draw the atheist, the Hindu, uh, the Muslim. He knows how to draw men unto himself. He will reach into the depths of whatever doctrines, whatever teachings, whatever background, whatever ethnicities, and he will start fashioning a way to bring them into relationship with him. In his love. Now, I want you to see as Matthew starts bringing a contrast to us in verse 3. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Think about this with me. The reason why Herod the king is troubled 
I don't have a problem with Herod the king being troubled. Why? Because he heard them call him king of the Jews. Now, Herod was one of the most paranoid leaders ever, half Jewish, half Idumean. He was so paranoid to protect his authority and his political office. He was so paranoid that he murdered his wife and murdered his some of his children when he felt that they were getting too close to his political power. He was a madman. So when these wise men come from the East and say, hey, where is the king of the Jews? Oh man, he is so threatened by it. Herod was a master builder. He would build things to, to get the favor of the people. As a matter of fact, he he helped build the, that that temple in Jerusalem that, that you see the wailing wall today. Herod, this Herod is the one that made that. He made so many grand edifices. He was a master builder, but he was so paranoid and 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 he did not have good relationships with his family because of uh the threat that he felt that they they posed. So Herod is known for eliminating threats. And the wise men say, man, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And Herod's like, hold on, you're looking for a king and you're not saying me? Look, so so he's 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 troubled because of political purposes. But this is concerning to me because it says when he heard the, this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Now we have an issue. Now Matthew is showing the uh, theological centers and how much they had backslid because Jerusalem was the theological center of the rabbis, of the chief priests, of the scribes. This was the hub of theological activity. And they had spent their entire ministries, hear this, prophesying and speaking of Messiah coming. When Messiah comes, everything's going to be better. When Messiah comes, everything's going to be better. We're waiting on Messiah. But now they hear the possibility of Messiah being born, and now they're troubled when they hear he's about to be born. Jesus, they don't even know Jesus' personality yet. They don't, he hadn't healed anybody yet. He hadn't spoken to anybody yet. He hasn't even been born yet. And yet they are troubled at the possibility of Messiah being born. Why are they troubled? Because they knew that when Messiah comes, He's going to change everything. And they had accumulated their crowds. They had accumulated their money and their popularity. And they knew that when Messiah comes, that the focus would shift from them and it would shift to its rightful place on the Messiah, the anointed one. They were troubled because they had learned to make a living off of the expectation of the Messiah, but their system wasn't built for the Messiah to actually come. Are you guys catching this? Every Sabbath, they're in the synagogue prophesying about the Messiah. Now, you have to understand in this time that 
that the center of theological activity during the time that Jesus walked, it was not the temple, it was the synagogues. The synagogues is where the teaching happened and where they were getting the word of God in people's hearts. These are the the movers and shakers of the society. You don't really hear of many priests and their function in the temple as much throughout the gospels. The focus is always at the synagogues because that was the center of Jewish life. And yes, people still did sacrifices to the temple, but the problem was, remember, the glory wasn't coming down in the temple anymore. It was different. It was different. So everyone was gravitating to these synagogues. And so these leaders were troubled at the idea of God coming, of the Messiah coming, and messing everything up. They had a really good corrupt system going. Remember, they they made the house of prayer a house of merchandise. They made the kingdom of God into a business. They, they, They were focused on being CEOs rather than servants. And they knew that the anointed one would come and disrupt that process. And he eventually would. Remember, he he throws them out and he, he flips over tables and said, man, this was supposed to be a house of prayer. This was supposed to be a house of communication. You've made it a den of thieves. You, 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 you're exchanging money. You, 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 you are, it's, it's all about the, the money that comes in instead of uh, lives being changed by an encounter with God. It was a corrupt system that wasn't focused on God. It was only focused on temporal things. So the theological center in Jerusalem, they were nervous because they were hoping that what they were preaching wasn't coming to pass. Isn't that sad? When Messiah comes, things are going to get better. When Messiah comes, then the wise men are like, hey, uh, by the way, I heard Messiah's here. And they're like, whoa, whoa, my word, what are we going to do? Shouldn't they be excited? Shouldn't they be uh, uh, happy? My word. They were troubled by the idea of deliverance. They were in trouble by the idea of Jesus, of the Messiah interrupting their plans. What Matthew is highlighting here is that they had a problem with Messiah before Jesus ever did a miracle. So he's showing them their heart. He's showing them their heart that no matter who the Messiah was or no matter how great he was or how perfect he was, and Jesus was perfect, their hearts would not receive them because this is the condemnation. Light has come into the world and men love darkness for their deeds were evil. 
And look at the contrast that Matthew shows them. Because remember, the Jews look down the Gentiles. But look what he does in verse 1 and verse 3. He shows the hunger of the Gentiles traveling 500 to 800 miles to come and worship God. And yet he shows the Jews who are in close proximity being blinded, blinded and resisting God. This is, this is what's happening throughout the entire book of Matthew. The Gentiles are coming to him. The lepers are coming to him. The blind who are, are, were uh, looked down on in society are coming to him. The woman with the issue of blood is coming to him. The demoniac is coming to him. Are you seeing this? But it is the religious leaders that are resisting him. It is the the corrupt uh, uh, systems of that day resisting him. And they are in closer proximity than the Gentiles and the lepers and all of these people in society, but they are the ones that will not recognize who he is. And it starts before he's even born. The, The wise men, the magi are coming from 500 to 800 miles away. But but Jerusalem, who is in close proximity, they're blind. Isn't it amazing how, how many times proximity breeds blindness? Where everyone could see his greatness from afar, but those up close can't see it. Have you ever been there? You start some type of business, uh, the family, your close proximity, don't believe in it. They don't buy anything from it. But then it starts picking up speed from different places in the city, in the city, in the community, in the state, in the nation, in the world. And and other people recognize your greatness before your family does. I'm speaking to somebody right there. Jesus went through it. So, and and this is fulfillment of prophecy because he says he came unto his own and his own received him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But while his own was not receiving him, those from afar off were receiving him. And you see the hunger of these Gentiles while they can see the star that the religious leaders are blind to. Proximity can produce blindness. You see, because you have to understand, every president, every uh, every, uh, king, every every mayor, every uh, high political office, um, you know them by... Uh, Mr. President, you know them by King this, you know them by Mayor that, but when they go home, their child calls them Dada or calls them by their first name or are you getting what I'm saying? See, proximity can sometimes breed blindness. And when people are raised up with you and they change your diapers and they and they saw you develop into a young man or a young lady, when you start trying to attempt something great, oh my goodness, they are blind to your greatness because, because they are blinded by their familiarity with you. 
And, and sometimes it takes someone traveling from 500 to 800 miles away to say, oh, hold on, there's greatness in this person. You ever notice that you, you, you're with your child and your child is growing, but you don't really recognize it. But then when you see somebody you haven't seen in four months or six months, they come and see your child. Oh my goodness, you went, your child went through a growth spurt and you're like, oh, I guess it did. You don't notice. Why? Because you're so familiar with them day to day. You don't always recognize those great spurts of growth. And, and Jerusalem is blinded by familiarity with the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They are blinded by it, that they cannot see what's in close proximity. But what Matthew is showing is that while the Jews may be blind, the Gentiles' eyes are wide open because they're hungry. And, 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 and what's amazing about this is that Matthew is giving a warning to the Jews saying, don't miss out on his presence like they did whenever Jesus walked on this earth. Get your eyes open, stay sensitive because this is real. Verse four, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Thus it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so he gets down into everything that Jesus has done is in fulfillment of Scripture that he did not step out of bounds, that he is legitimate. Uh, according to his body, he did things the right way. He did things the right way. Um, then Herod calls in the wise men privately, and he inquires what time that the star uh, appeared. And he said, go search diligently for the child. When you found them, bring me word and I that I too may come and worship him. Now, this is an exposure of the deception of King Herod. This is how he moved. He was deceptive. He had no intention to worship uh, uh, the Messiah. He wanted to find out his location so he could kill him. And now the Bible says in their journey that they went their way, verse 9, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came the rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Um, this is verse 11. Now, um, Jesus is not no longer in a manger or, or in a barn. Um, now he is in a house. So this journey, um, the, from the time they started the journey and the time they got there, 
uh, two years could have passed because now they're in a house. Um, um, we don't know what the particular time frame was when the wise men got there, but they were no longer in the manger. They were now in the house. And th this is the, the paradox is amazing because Jesus is the king of the entire world, but he is in a, a manger and he's raised by uh, poor parents, the offering that Mary gives whenever Jesus goes to get circumcised, uh, you that was the poor offering. You, you you did the turtle doves when you didn't have enough money. When you, you did the pigeons when you didn't have enough money. So he's being raised in poverty. He's the king of kings being raised in poverty. And um, so I, I, I want, want to highlight this that they fell down and worshiped him. So while they're falling down and worshiping him, the, 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 the Jews are troubled and Herod is trying to find a way to destroy him. They were warned in a dream not to return to Herod and they departed to their own country by another way. So they, they, they went back home to the East. They just went a different way. So they didn't have to meet, uh, Herod again. Uh, and, and a nugget here is that wise men, when they meet God, they always go back home another way. Yeah. Um, you always, after an encounter with God, you don't go back home the same way you came. You always go back home another way, a different way. Now we, we're going to get into some nitty gritty things here because I think this is exceptionally profound what I'm about to read to you um, because remember Matthew is presenting Jesus as the new Moses and Herod gets angry in verse 13 it says, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son guys that, that that that's matthew chapter 2 verse 13 uh verse 13 through um through 15 uh th this is amazing to me because he is the new moses and herod wants to kill this child because it, again it is a potential threat to his kingdom and in infancy, Jesus hadn't healed anybody yet, hadn't spoke yet, hadn't done anything yet, but all hell is afraid of what this child can become. So he attacks this child in its infant stage. If there's anything that you need to understand is that anytime there's greatness in you, hell starts attacking you early. He'll start attacking you 
where in the family that you're raised in, it's an abusive household. Your dad beats you. Your mom speaks down on you. Uh, you you're, you've been in foster care since you were a child. Uh, you, you were made to have low self-esteem. You're mocked whenever you uh, do well. Hell tries to attack you early. Children being born with uh, fetal alcohol syndrome because their parents uh, drink alcohol uh, even while while pregnant, uh, uh, ch- children born addicted to drugs because their parents did. Drug- Hell has no consciousness. He tries to attack early because he is afraid of what you're going to become. That's why you went through everything that you went through. Hell saw you on the radar of doing something great in the kingdom of God, and you wonder why you've been under so much attack. You haven't done anything yet. You haven't become anything yet, but hell has released all of its all of its host against you to try to discourage you from following God because he knows exactly what you're going to be and he is afraid of what you're going to be and the sign of your chosenness you have to measure uh, that you are so chosen you understand that by how much attack is coming against you and you don't even feel significant you don't feel like you've done anything yet. You feel like you have a lot to learn and a lot to, but all of hell is coming in. It seems like there's always coming something against you. Your, your car breaks down. Oh, I'm talking to someone in the Holy Ghost listening. Your car breaks down. After the car breaks down, he gets it fixed. Something else breaks down. And then you go home and something's breaking at the house and you got an eviction notice. And, and then you, all of a sudden you lost a friend and all of a sudden you lost your grandma. And it's one thing after after another, after another, after another, after another. And you're like, how is all this coming against me? I'm just working in a nine to five job. I don't feel significant. I've come to give you a red alert on this podcast today and tell you that is a sign there's something in you that God wants to get out for his glory. And hell is so afraid of it that he wants to discourage you from pursuing God. He wants to discourage you from being what God has called you to be. He wants to make you feel like your life is invaluable, like you're not important. But the sign that there's greatness in you is the attacks against you. The sign that you have greatness on the inside is the adversity that's coming against you on the outside. My word, I'm talking to somebody right now. So everything starts coming against Jesus and he hasn't done anything yet. But what is profound to me is that the angel instructs Joseph in a dream to take Jesus into Egypt. Wow. He said, I want you to go back to the place of bondage to find freedom. I'm messing somebody up this listening. He said, I want you to go back to Egypt. Yes, that's where y'all used to be slaves. But in what used to be slavery now is going to be a refuge for you. Egypt was about 90 miles from the border of Jerusalem. So he said, take a journey and go to Egypt. Wow. 
You've got to run from Herod, go to Egypt. Egypt is the last place that I'm thinking is going to be a safe place. After what the people of God had been through, they never want to go back to Egypt. My word. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. My word. He takes Jesus to Egypt. And notice the angel doesn't say, take your child. The angel says, take the child. The angel refuses to allow Joseph to understand. He's rem- he was reminding Joseph that you're not his father. This, this is something divine. This is something from God. This is God. And <clears throat> he tells him to take him to Egypt. Why is he going to Egypt? What a contradiction. Why would he go to Egypt? And then look what Matthew says. He says, number one, you're supposed to stay in Egypt until I bring you word. But he says that that it was fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt have I called my son. This is a prophecy from Hosea in Hosea 11.1. And this is speaking of the rede- redeeming of Israel. Remember, Israel was given to so many idols and, and just backslidden. But now Hosea starts prophesying that there's going to be healing and rec- reconciliation. And there's going to be love. And, and out of Egypt, I have called my son. This is a reminder in the Jewish thought of when they dwelt in Egypt. And just like Moses had was, was the deliverer was raised in Egypt, Moses was, even so Jesus, the deliverer from sin, is going to be staying in Egypt for a brief time. Now, what's powerful about this is that Out of Egypt now came two deliverers, Moses and Jesus. So God allows, look how strategic God is. He flees into Egypt to fulfill prophecy that out of Egypt have I called my son. That now Jesus will have come out of Egypt and it and and it puts you know a red sea narrative in the children of israel's mind it puts the narrative in their mind of coming out coming out of egypt coming out of egypt free and jesus is is showing that he is going to bring the people of god out of egypt when he said, out of Egypt have I called my son, it was speaking of the nation of Israel, but now it's like God is, is embodying this because of what Jesus is going to do. He's going to lead people out of Egypt just as Moses did, but he's not just leading them out of the physical bondage of Egypt, but he's leading them out of the bondage of sin. 
but he finds refuge in a city that's known for bondage. What a paradox. And just as Moses goes back to Egypt to bring the people of God out, Jesus goes, goes to Egypt, putting, foreshadowing him bringing the children of Israel out of bondage, a greater bondage, which is sin's bondage, and the wages of sin is death. But entitling this um, this podcast episode, uh, I'm entitling titling it "Misunderstood Miracles." Misunderstood miracles, because no one w- wants to uh, go through an Egypt experience. No one wants to be lost. Egypt is a type of the world. No one wants to go through a, a world experience. No one wants to go through an Egypt experience. But the angel said, look, look what he says. He says that when Herod died, verse 19 when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in the dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. Meaning, there, there was a time to be in Egypt for Jesus. He had to stay there until Herod died. Meaning that there was a right time to come out of Egypt. This is the misunderstood miracle is that when God saved you, he saved you at the right time. He saved you when you started getting sick of the world so you would never go back. Some of us wish wish we could have came to God sooner and came to God, uh, uh, you know, at an earlier time in our lives and an earlier time in our journey. But I'm going to come to tell you, God saved you at the right time. And sometimes what, what God does is that he, he waits till the fullness of time uh, to bring you out of a situation. It's the misunderstood miracles because Egypt was not a place that you think God would go to find refuge. But God is able to make places that are known for hurting people and destroying people. And God is able to put a Goshen experience for you. He's able to protect you in a place where you're not even supposed to be protected. For Jesus to survive this Egypt experience is incredible. It is incredible. If God's sending you somewhere, he's going to protect you. Even when you don't understand it, he's going to go before you and protect you. Now, let's go into verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent 
and killed all the male children in Jerusalem and Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Speaking of the children of Israel being carried away into Babylon. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that it was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, this is this this is easily these are misunderstood miracles because God uses two unique places to protect Jesus. He uses Egypt, which no one expects, and he uses Nazareth, which no one expects. Joseph is afraid to go back to Bethlehem because Archelaus is now reigning. Now, Archelaus, the son of Herod, had a reputation of being just as cruel as his father. And so what's amazing about this on this journey of fulfillment, there's always a pit stop in Egypt and there's always a pit stop in Nazareth. And these are misunderstood miracles because no one wants these two places. But God uses them to protect you on the journey of fulfillment. Nobody wants to go to Egypt. Nobody wants to be, be in this these types of places. But God is able to use everything that the enemy means, means for evil and turn it around for good. Now, Nazareth was a city on a major Gentile trade route. It was a rejected place. If you look throughout the Old Testament, you never hear a prophet say that that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. It always says that the Messiah would be despised. So you have to go to Isaiah 53 to see how the Messiah, uh, the description of the Messiah and why uh, he had to be called a Nazarene, which meant which meant that he was going to be uh, rejected. I want to get into this. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. 
That's Isaiah 53, 1 through 6. This is what Matthew is referring to when it says that it says that he would be called a Nazarene, that he would be rejected. But what's amazing about it is that God made sure the angel told him to go to to Nazareth because in his rejection was his protection. God had to put this child in a place where nobody would find out about him. He had to, he, God thought of the best place to hide himself. And he said, the only place that I'm not going to be discovered is in the land of rejection. And I need to dwell in that place for 30 years, untraceable by Archelaus. Are you getting what I'm saying? In his rejection was his protection. It's the misunderstood miracle. Your your rejection is a misunderstood miracle because God is using it to hide you long enough so nobody can sabotage early what he's trying to do in you. God said, I'm going to put myself in a Nazareth, a rejected place where Nathaniel from Canaan of Galilee, he said, can there be any good thing to come out of Nazareth? It was on a major Gentile trade route. Every Jew looked down on those from Nazareth. But he, so when Matthew says he shall be called a Nazarene, there's no prophet in the Old Testament that prophesies that, but they all say that he will be rejected. And, and the word Nazareth and Nazarene was synonymous with the word rejection during the times of Jesus. Every Jew looked down on Nazareth that was on a major Gentile trade route. But in his rejection was his protection. So God used two places that nobody would want to go, that no one would want to endure, Egypt and Nazareth, as a place of protection because in his rejection was his protection. And and he wanted to dwell in a place for 30 years that nobody could sabotage the process before it's time. He said, the best place for me to hide for 30 years is Nazareth. They're going to think I'm nothing. They're going to think I'm nobody. But the whole time I'm growing in the wisdom and favor with God and man. And that when I come on the scene at 30, there's, there's nothing that they could do to stop me. Sometimes God allows rejection in your life to separate you from the crowd so the crowd's thoughts don't penetrate your spirit. I'm going to help somebody on this podcast today. Sometimes God won't allow you to get along with everybody and be in the it click because he needs your thought process to be different. And so he will allow you to be rejected 
so you can get his thoughts until instead of mob thoughts. Are you getting it? Your rejection is your protection. Your rejection is protecting the gift of God that he has put in your spirit. Anytime you're rejected, it means that God is doing a protection on you. And me growing up in Louisiana, I didn't have uh, close friends. I didn't go to parties. I was in the world, y'all. I didn't go to parties. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't do that. But even while I was in Egypt, God was protecting me. I'm going to preach to somebody on here. I was consecrated to basketball. I was consecrated to this sport. Therefore, I watched my relationships and friendships. I didn't drink alcohol. I didn't uh, smoke weed. I didn't do drugs because I was consecrated to that sport. You see, it was a misunderstood miracle. While I was in the world, God was protecting me from what I would be. I didn't even know what I would become, but I'm so thankful that that he, he allowed me to invest myself in something in Egypt that would ultimately protect some things in my spirit so he could use me later for his glory. I said, it's a misunderstood miracle. God in heaven, I'm going to talk to somebody right now. I'm going to talk to somebody right now. You don't understand why you had to go through Egypt. You don't understand why you had to be rejected by people that you thought you were supposed to be close to. It's because God didn't want their mentality to penetrate your destiny. And the only way to protect that was to allow you to suffer rejection. God had to be raised in a land of rejection. Because if anyone saw his giftedness too early, they would inform Archelaus and Archelaus would come to be sure to put him out because he's a threat. But everybody knew there are no threats in Nazareth. Oh my, there are no threats in Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. It's a terrible place to be raised. It's a, it's a rejected place. And God said, that's the place that I'm looking for because it's in that rejection that I'm going to grow. And for 30 years, I'm going to live there. But when I come out, I'm coming out in the power of the spirit. Stop trying to control who accepts you and who rejects you and just start working on going after God and allowing him to develop you and conforming you into his image. Because I'm telling you, the rejection is just a misunderstood miracle. Oh my, and God has been protecting you on this journey. God has been protecting you on this journey by allowing some things to reject you. If you were a part of the, that, that club, you would get corrupted just like them. If you were a part of, of that system, you, you would have a limited view of who God is. And what he can do in your life and in your world. In your rejection, I am telling you in the Holy Ghost, it has been your protection. Because they may, many times they'll reject purity because purity exposes corruption. 
You see, Jesus was the light of the world, but the, the, but the men hid their faces from the light of the world because their deeds were evil. Stop internalizing the rejection as if there is something wrong with you. It's not what's wrong with you. It's the hand of God on you. And when the light that God has put in you starts going into dark places where the, the crowd is, the crowd starts getting nervous because that light is going to discover their deeds. Come on, somebody. So they're rejecting you because if the light gets too close, they're scared they're going to get exposed. So they have to push you to the side because you have a pure heart. I'm in the Holy Ghost talking to somebody listening. It's the misunderstood miracle. Stop despising yourself because of the rejection. Stop questioning what's wrong with you. Why does it nobody like me? Why can't I have close friends? Why do I get betrayed all the time? I'm telling you, God is protecting you long enough because when he releases you fully into your gifting, my word, you won't have any negative attachments that are trying to hold you back to an old system, to an old garment, to an old thought process, but you can operate and function in the anointing and in the glory of God. In your rejection is your protection. It is the misunderstood miracle. You don't understand why you had to go through Egypt. Oh my, you don't understand why you had to go through Egypt, why you had to be raised with those parents, why you had to be raised in that in that life, why you had to be raised in that type of environment. Because I'm telling you that even in Egypt, God was protecting you. Before he formed you in the belly, he knew you. And before you were made in the womb, he ordained you. In your rejection is your protection. Do you know that when God, uh, look at these parallels with Moses and Jesus. Do you know when God was looking for a deliverer to deliver the people of God from Egypt, guess what he said? The best place for me to find somebody to deliver the people from Egypt is in Egypt. Well, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. Oh my, I'm, I, I'm excited. I, I am excited about this. You, you have to hear this, guys. Oh my goodness. See, God raised the deliverer in Pharaoh's house right under their nose. They didn't expect deliverance to come out of the Pharaoh's own house. And Pharaoh is teaching Moses about military warfare and how to fight and how to possess kingdoms and nations. Are you getting what I'm saying? No one expected the deliverer to come out of Pharaoh's house and nobody expected the Messiah to come out of a house of rejection. Oh my but Moses was able to grow unbothered right under Pharaoh's nose because no one saw Pharaoh's house as a threat. 
are you getting it? And no one expected a Messiah to be raised in a rejected place of Nazareth. There's no threats in Nazareth, but oh, the foolishness of God is wiser than man. And the hidden wisdom of God is so amazing. He is able to bring someone up from nothing. He is able to bring someone up out of nothing. He is able to make something beautiful out of the dirt. Out of Egypt have I called my son. Now, why would God want Moses to be raised in Pharaoh's house? Here it is. I'm about to help you. So he could have a different mentality from his surroundings. Because his siblings only see themselves as slaves. I'm going to help somebody right now. His surroundings, the people of Israel, they were very comfortable in Goshen. They were in the best of the land but they were slaves. They got comfortable. They got comfortable. And God didn't want Moses to be raised with a comfortable mentality or with a victim mentality. So he said, I'm going to put you in a conqueror's house so you can have a conqueror's mentality because I'm preparing you to go and possess the promised land. I'm preparing you to go and possess the Canaanites. Are you getting what I'm saying? Oh my word, I'm so excited about this. I hope this is helping somebody. So what did Moses do? He was raised apart from his family, getting everything that he needed from Pharaoh. Maybe his sister came to visit time to time until he was weaned and everything like that. But you have to understand something, that he was under the Egyptian tutors that were teaching them about the war history of Egypt, on how to make make use of military strategy. The enemy taught him that. The enemy orchestrated its own demise. You know that's the wisdom of God. And so Moses was raised in the enemy's house, a place that no one expected to look. And he was raised to conquer, but he had to be set apart from his own people in order to be what God has called him to be. What am I ministering to you on? You have been rejected and all you wanted all your life was to be accepted. But if you are accepted, you get the mentality of the comfortable. You get the mentality of the victim. You get the mentality of the world's out to get me. So God says, I've got to allow you to be rejected to protect you and protect your mind so you can get my thoughts in that head and not your background thoughts. I got to keep you alone. See, some of you listening have been going through a season of loneliness. You know what you need to do? Pick up your Bible so you can get God's thoughts. Get into a prayer closet so you can get God's thoughts. Because once you get kingdom thoughts, oh my word, when you get kingdom thoughts alone with God, it will override the pressure of the mob. 
and the crowds and the mediocrity because you have spent a, a, enough alone time with God, you have a backbone to hold on to biblical ideals over cultural ideals. Your rejection was for your protection. God allowed it so you wouldn't get that negative spirit that that friend had. I'm talking to somebody on this podcast right now. Jesus had to go. It was a misunderstood miracle. What you have been going through in your life is just misunderstood miracles. You don't understand the miracle that's happening. God has been protecting you even while you was in Egypt, even while you were in the world. He was finding ways to protect you. You would be in the club and in the club, someone would come up to you and say, you're not supposed to be here. The anointing of God is on you. You would be trying to do something bad. And they're like, you don't belong here. Because even in Egypt, he was covering you. I look back on my life and I see that there were Christians that were that were around, around my life even when I didn't even know they were Christian. I didn't know they had been baptized in Jesus' name. I didn't know that, that they had received his spirit. I didn't know anything about them. But I can look back and see God was protecting me. I was playing with a young man in Youngsville named Benjamin. He was, he was attending a powerful church. I had no idea. But I had influences around me in Egypt that were protecting me. Are you kidding it? Are you getting it? it you you got to understand the sovereignty of God that his eye has been on you. If his eye has been on the sparrow, I know he's watching over me, but he was not just watching over me in the present. He was watching over me in the past. And now you can look at your life and see where God has brought you and you can see the hand of God. You can see the hand of God directing you into promise. It's the misunderstood miracle. And what Matthew is showing these Jews is that they did not expect fulfillment to come through the Rahab and the Tamar and the Ruth and the Bathsheba. They did not expect fulfillment to come through the loins of an Egypt an unexpected place, and through the loins of Nazareth, a rejected place. What Matthew is showing them is that fulfillment happens differently than they expected. They wanted the Messiah to come in and kill the Romans and overpower the Romans, but they didn't realize that they were being overpowered by sin, and that's what Jesus wanted to deal with. Matthew is is showing them how they missed him when he was in his earthly body. And he is trying to bend their minds to an openness to receive something from the Spirit. That the Messiah went out of his way to fulfill prophecies. And and he's showing the hunger of the Gentiles coming from afar to worship him and the ignorance of those in close proximity, which happens to be the theological center of Jerusalem. They have no idea, no sensitivity 
because they were so set in the ways of their system, they had no sensitivity to anything new possibly happening. So while they are so anchored into the corruption of their system, Joseph is having fresh dreams. He's having a dream about the birth of Jesus. He's having a dream of going into Egypt. He's having a dream of going into Nazareth. He's having a dream. He's having so many dreams. There's freshness. But but Jerusalem is ignorant to what God is doing because he didn't come and do it exactly like they wanted him to do it. But his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. In your rejection is your protection. I know rejection in our culture is something bad, but I'm telling you through the lens of heaven, the Bible says through desire, a man separates himself and he intermeddles with wisdom. I'm telling you, I am telling you, I'm helping somebody listening right now. I feel the Holy Ghost talking to somebody right now. Through desire, a man separates himself and intermeddles in wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, through desire, a man having separated himself seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. You rarely grow in a crowd. Somewhere you have to get alone with God. And God is trying to use this rejecting, rejected season you've been in to protect you, to make sure pollutants don't come and, and taint what he has put in your spirit. And it is so you can get alone with him and embrace him as your heavenly father. So he can give you revelation and understanding on how to walk in the gifts that he's given you. Start looking at your rejection as a misunderstood miracle. Start looking at your rejection as protection. They never expected Egypt to be a place of of a refuge. But when God's involved, he can make anything a refuge. And he went there so he could be paralleled with Moses as the new Moses. He went there because on the path of fulfillment, there's always a pit stop in Egypt. And there's always a pit stop in rejection. But keep walking. This is the theme of Matthew. It's fulfillment. And fulfillment looks funny. It's rough. It's rough patches. It's it's difficult. There's misunderstandings. It's running for your life. They're 90 miles in the opposite direction to Egypt. It's, it's, It's going and dwelling in a poor city of Nazareth. But God said, I want to hide myself there until I'm ready to reveal myself everywhere. And sometimes God will hide you in rejection to protect the investment that he has put in you. And then when the time is right, so you can release it everywhere. And when you've been rejected for so long, it's not a big deal if somebody walks away. As Jesus had to deal with that many times in his ministry, with the rich young ruler walking away, with people 
after he fed the 5,000 people not willing to receive his doctrine, they walked away. And he said, will you also go away, Peter? He learned how to thrive in obscurity. Because on the path of fulfillment, there's always obscurity and rejection. He was hidden for 30 years. The bulk of his ministry was in, the bulk of his life was in rejection. He only had three and a half years of ministry. But it was a a God's timing thing. So don't internalize the rejection. Don't internalize any of that. Understand that God can use it on the path of fulfillment for your life as you see it unveiled in Jesus' life. I'm telling you, at the beginning of this book, Matthew is opening up the Jewish minds and they are baffled because they see the hunger of the Gentiles and they see the, the persecution of, of, uh, of, of Jesus uh, happening uh, from Rome and you see the, 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 the theological system being troubled and you see Jesus fulfilling prophecy through these chaotic times. And he dwells in Nazareth. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. It's a misunderstood miracle. Don't internalize your rejection. Don't internalize what you went through when you were in the world and in Egypt. And understand that God knows how to strategically set you up using these things that are working against you. He knows how to make them work for you. Go ahead and leave a comment, leave a, leave a review, share this on your social media if it's been a blessing to you. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow on Matthew 3. God bless. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for more information, you can follow my social media page, Victor M. Jackson, or you can come visit us in Orlando, Florida at Bible Center of Orlando. Thank you for joining us. God bless.